somebody was asking me about it last. I don't know. It's in the the web store. It comes out in the email every week. It's kind of where it is. Uh, so yeah, we're we are recording. So. Oh, we're on the right track. Right on. Well, friends, it's nine oh five. I'm sure that we'll still have some people trickling in. Thanks for everybody rolling with us on changing locations. Since I'm going to try to teach about the sacraments today, I feel like I probably need to get started now. I don't need a full hour to talk about it. I'm just joking. Um, so I'll go ahead and kick us off with some prayer. And then the plan will be to talk through worship at the table, then the sacraments, and then we'll open it up for questions at the end. If there's something that is so confusingly said, which is totally possible, I'm not just being self-deprecating there. If there's something that we're like, hey, we actually probably should ask a question now rather than wait till the end, feel free just to speak up. It doesn't have to feel, I don't want it to feel like too formal of a lecture or something like that. Um, but yeah, let's let's pray together and then begin. Gracious God, thank you for meeting us where we're at. Thank you for making your presence known in our normal everyday life, for meeting us in our moments of confusion, in our moments of tiredness, nervousness, calm and steady and joy. Thank you for meeting us in all of life. I pray that you would just make your presence known this morning as we seek together to learn more and enter more deeply into your spirit as you continue to draw us into your kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, the table is a church that's about eight years old. I think we've been meeting and worshiping publicly for maybe a little over six years now, maybe six and a half years, something like that. Um, and we are as you know, rooted in the Anglican tradition. We talked a little bit about that last week in the class from last week. I think got posted, Father Ben posted it and it came out in the email. So that should be available. Um, but I think some of the work that we want to continue to do is to connect the dots between the ethos of the table, our particular mission and orientation to the faith that we're in and the tradition that we're in. Because a lot of us that are a part of the table uh, are not, cradle Episcopalians. And so for a lot of us, this tradition is new. So for today, we're going to cover sacraments and worship at the table. I want to start with worship because that feels like it will naturally lead us deeper into the sacraments. Uh, but I also thought it would be good to put our vision and our practices up here so that we can maybe look together and see how some of the rhythms of this liturgy and this tradition we've received align with these practical implications or these practical goals for the church that we want to be today. So we talk about and extends the presence of Christ here in Indianapolis. And then web a lot amongst the three of us about how we need to talk about these more commonly just to keep them kind of in the language of the church. But the four practices that we have as a church, which kind of are in the place of values, uh, are welcoming, listening, gospeling, going, and then we've kind of augmented going to include joining. And part of the shape of that is we don't want to go out with this like colonial approach to, to mission of like, okay, we're going to like put a flag here on the ground for the kingdom of God. And now we're going to take this area over and form it in our image. We want to go and be a part of God's work in creation. And that a lot of times means submitting to other people and other programs that are in place. So this is at like the bedrock or the foundation of the church. This is the type of church that we want to be in the way that we're trying to become that church. Um, before getting into some of the practicalities of worship and some of the ways that we do worship here at the table, I think it's really important to name the posture that we try to inhabit. Um, so we really are trying to cultivate a space and maintain a space that is a gathering and not a performance. We want everybody that comes to feel that they have a role that they can play in the liturgy, but also not that they have to be like so in the know and familiar with it that they can only participate if they have done this before or if they've like studied before they show up. Um, and so some of the ways that we do that, I hope, is by just not taking ourselves too seriously. We are trying to appropriately situate ourselves with reverence towards the work that God is doing in our midst, but also like 
I think two weeks ago, Remy came forward with me whenever I was doing the, the call to worship at the beginning. And that's something that's not abnormal at all here at the table is we have kids in our worship and we want them to feel part of our worship. And so they're not a, an interruption or a distraction, but those things are just part of what it means to be together in a group of people. So that's just a comment about that. I hope that that's something that you guys have experienced, you know, a posture of respect and reverence, but also not too stuffy about who we are. And I think that that helps to orient us appropriately to this worship that we enter into each week. So a few notes about what worship is not. And I think that I feel this, these sometimes feel like correctives to some of the pre, my previous approaches to practicing or embodying worship. Worship is not a lecture or a TED talk. It's not something that we participate in each week to learn some kind of new mind-blowing fact about God. Worship is not Jesus-themed entertainment. That doesn't mean that, you know, you can't find it entertaining, or if you find yourself too moved by one of the Psalms that Joel uh, wrote, that's not a bad thing to, to like it or find a sermon good, but that is not primarily what worship is, is entertainment. It's also not a pep rally. It's not a place that we go, come together every week to try to like really encourage each other and get excited about God. Um, now that might be part of what happens sometimes when we come together, but at its core, worship is not a pep rally. Simon Chan says that the the church's defining characteristic is its worshipful response to the call of God to be God's people. This is why we begin each week with silence. So worship is our response to God's action. It's not our conjuring up of God's presence. It's not us earning God's attention or God's favor, but we are responding to God's call and drawing of us into the kingdom. Every church already has a liturgy. Uh, now, I come from a non-denominational charismatic background, and so we would not have said we have a liturgy, but our, we had a specific rhythm to what our services were. And honestly, if you were to alter that somewhat, people would notice, they would comment on it. And so there's an intentionality to the liturgy that we have here at the table. And it's something that we haven't made up. There's a couple of pieces that are a little bit different than what how it's laid out in the Book of Common Prayer. There'll be some of those um, updates on those things actually here in the next few weeks. But the, the tradition and the liturgy that we've received in the Book of Common Prayer is biblical, historical, it's focused on beauty and it's formative. So just a couple of brief comments about each of those categories. Uh, this, the shape of this worship that we try to embody each Sunday is rooted in Jewish liturgy. God's people have always had ways of praying together. So even in the Old Testament, as we think about the people of Israel leaving Egypt and the way that they came together to cry out to God in the wilderness, there was always a rhythm. There were people that were helping to lead, but cultivate a communal orientation towards the divine. And so part of our liturgy is built on that. This liturgy is historical. Uh, Justin Martyr's uh, first apology, which was written in about 150 AD, is actually very similar to, it lays out a very similar liturgy and rhythm to the flow of worship to what we practice here at the table as well. I think one of the really key factors and something that means a lot to me is that the liturgy is focused on beauty in a way that I, I maybe was unfamiliar with previously. So I think my past church tradition, you, you probably can place yourselves all in different places, but my past church tradition was really focused on either the entertainment aspect of worship or the TED talk aspect of worship, where it's like, oh, I really got to learn a couple of solid nuggets to take from this lesson. Again, it's not bad to learn something, but there was something about it, it was missing this beauty, this, this sense of wonder and awe that would free us up to be uh, full, full humans, really, honestly. Something that would engage with not just our minds, but also our bodies and our senses. Uh, there's been a couple of comments this morning, even as we had to call an audible on our different rooms. There's a Thai body work thing happening in the other room, and it just smells amazing. And Father Ben was commenting on how it actually smells like some, some forms of incense. And so that's something that we haven't done a lot of at the table is work with incense. But that is part of our tradition is like trying to um, touch on and utilize all of our senses. So we're not just floating brains that come together on Sunday to learn facts about God. But we are full people, bodies, spirits, minds. And lastly, this liturgy, this worship is formative. 
As we participate in worship each week, it forms us and it shapes us. We, pra we practice habits of faith and we build this like muscle memory for prayer, for silence together. We, we build muscle memory for bringing our doubts with us, for coming as we are tired or frustrated or happy. This is why we use our bodies in worship. So Father Ben, I think, is going to do an instructed or a guided liturgy next week. So I, I'm assuming you'll probably talk a bit about like bowing and things. Sure. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about it that much today, so put it on your docket. But that is that's part of why we do those things. And so if you know if you find yourself uncomfortable with making the sign of the cross, or you know, you see other people bowing when the gospel book goes by, it's totally fine for you to respond as you're comfortable, but there's also a rootedness and a tradition that we're kind of we're playing off of and learning from in those ways of reverencing and using our body for reverence that I found to be generative. And there's no shame if you're uncomfortable with it. I think everybody comes from a different background or they have different levels of experience with it. But it's one of the ways that we practice using our bodies. Those are some of the ways we use our bodies in worship. And you don't have to, one of the beauties of liturgy is you don't have to nail it or know what to do and you don't have to feel it, honestly. I think coming from a charismatic background, that's really good news for me. You're free to actually just show up and just trust the liturgy. And when you trust the liturgy, you're in the hands of not only the community here at the table, but in the hands of believers that have come before us for generations and generations, for thousands of years. And that may feel overwhelming, but I hope that it feels inviting too and freeing in a way. You don't have to know, you don't have to feel, you can just show up and, and submit to it and just trust it. So the shape of our worship at the table, and it comes from the, the Book of Common Prayer, as I mentioned earlier, I think aligns really well with these practices here at the table. So we gather as God's people from various locations, from all around Indianapolis, of course, and then folks online from even further out than that, but also different areas of work from different backgrounds, uh, as different individuals, but we come together as one community. And when we come together, we listen. That's the next step in our worship. We listen for God's word being spoken to us through the reading of scripture, through the proclamation of good news in the sermon. We also are hearing good news as we proclaim the Nicene Creed together each week. We receive, that's the third step in our worship. We receive God's love, God's peace, God's grace. We receive those things from one another, right? Part of our services, we turn and we pass the peace to each other. And it's not just like a greet your neighbor time. It's actually a time that we're practicing gospeling one another and proclaiming this good news. In the midst of whatever you're experiencing this week, we're proclaiming the peace of Christ be with you. And so we're making peace. I mean, we don't talk about it every week, but most of you have probably heard uh, in scripture that you're supposed to make peace with a brother or sister before coming and receiving Eucharist. And so that's that's also part of this rhythm. It's all built in as we come together and gather as God's people each week. We are receiving God's love, peace, and grace from one another, but then also we're receiving it from God as we come forward and receive Eucharist. And then at the end of our worship, we are sent out, which we do every every week. The deacon comes and stands by the door as we process out. And the deacon stands there and waits. And then the final thing that we do before being sent out is that there's something proclaimed and then we respond as a congregation. So we're coming together. We're gathering. We're listening to God's word. We're receiving God's grace. And then we're empowered and sent out to go and be ambassadors for the kingdom of God as the body of Christ. And I think that it felt it felt like the right decision to, th to throw this up here this morning just to see how that rhythm of worship that we've received in the Book of Common Prayer aligns with our practices. So welcoming, listening, gospeling, going or joining, those are things that we're trying to practice, not just as part of worship, but as we lean into saying yes to the work that God is doing in all areas of our life. You can take these postures or practices into the workplace, into your homes, and these are things that we're trying to cultivate in a very practical way. So each Sunday we gather around word and sacrament. We don't gather around a particular personality. We don't gather around great preaching or great music. That's not to say that we don't have any personality here at the church. It's not to say that we don't try to do a good job of preaching or we don't relish hearing great music because we do all those things. But the main thing that we're gathering around is none of those. 
the main thing that we're gathering out is the table of our Lord and receiving Eucharist, which is really good news for people that are interacting with and helping to lead the service. It gives us freedom to not have to just really crush it in the sermon or crush it in the songs. Um, but also just to, we can say yes to the work that God is already doing and come and receive grace in the sacraments. So the Eucharist is the climax of our worship and holding the Eucharist as central to our worship together appropriately situates us as responding to God's work in our lives and in our midst. And this feels like an appropriate time to now segue into the sacraments. So that was worship at the table. <laughs> and now we're going to double click into the sacraments. So I joked earlier about not really needing a full hour to talk about the sacraments, um, because obviously we would need way more than an hour to talk about it. Um, there's so much to unpack. And part of the beauty of the sacraments is the mystery that we're able to inhabit and interact with and engage with each week. But at its core, I mean, I, I don't think that what I'm about to say could be wrong, but I'm, I would be intrigued to hear if anybody else has a different experience of this. As I was meditating on this and preparing for this this week, at its core, the sacraments are all about presence to me. It's all about where God is present and at work. And that's something that we talk a lot about at the table. You'll often hear us say the phrase, God is always present and at work. So Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus's ministry on earth bears witness to it over and over again. But as we all know, the kingdom of God has not fully come. It's not fully evident in the here and now. We can see that in our own personal lives, in the communities around us, in the news, obviously. The world has not been set right. So even though the kingdom of God has come, it is not fully here. And so I think that the sacraments are all about awakening us to God's presence. I think that we are convinced intellectually that God is really present in a work, but we, we don't always feel like God is present. We don't always believe that God is present in a work, even if we are convinced, like on paper, if somebody was to give you a test, most of us would probably say, yes, of course, God is present at work. But it can be really easy on a Thursday afternoon when something has happened to be like, how could God possibly be present? Where is God in this? Our bone level beliefs often trail behind our brain level beliefs in this way. This is something that we talk about in our DNA classes. We, we have a lot of beliefs that we would name, but we also realize that our bodies don't have those same beliefs. The beliefs haven't infiltrated all of who, who we are, all of our being. So the sacraments are meant to awaken us to God's presence all around us so that we can live into the reign of God in the here and now. Elizabeth Barrett Browning says, earth, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. Which I think that's something that we've used that quote consistently as we've talked about the sacraments over the years. I think it really beautifully encapsulates what we're trying to name here. We believe that God is present at work in all of creation. Creation is continuing to unfold as a miracle, as the creation act of God, as a part of God's active work in reconciling all of creation to God's self. But also, it doesn't feel like that all the time. We don't always feel like we're on holy ground. The Book of Common Prayer's catechism defines the sacraments as outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual grace given by Christ as sure and certain means, sure and certain, are they're doing a lot of work here, sure and certain means by which we receive that grace. So God's kingdom is already, but not yet. It's here, but it's also currently in breaking. So as it's here and still in breaking, we are learning to notice and name where God is present at work. And this is hard work. But it's the work of life. This is the call of our whole life is to continue to do that work. And what part of the beauty of the sacraments are this, this sure and certain means, this promise of God's presence with us. And so I'll talk a little bit more about signs and symbols here in a bit. And I, I don't want to use a metaphor now that is difficult to unwind a little bit down the road, but I think it's helpful to think of them almost as like a key to a map. So because we believe God is always present and at work, but we're naming that sometimes it's hard to see how that's possible. 
gathering around the sacraments and knowing in confidence that this is where God has present has promised to be present to us is helping to orient us appropriately to God's presence. It's helping us to see God is present here, or even when we don't see it, sit with that and say, I believe it. I will trust that God is present here. And then go out and be more prepared to see God present and at work in our everyday life. So the sacraments are consistent, defined spaces where we know God is present with us. Participating in the, sacra the sacraments helps to raise our awareness to God's presence in our lives. They open our eyes and they train us to see all of life as sacramental. They are more, though, than just a sign or a symbol. Sacraments do point to and help us to see the presence of God, but they actually participate in the mysterious reality to which they point. So I think that the, the common example that we use is if you're driving on the highway and you see like a deer crossing sign. That sign is kind of letting you know that deer are often present in that area, but that sign itself is not a deer. If you hit that sign, you have not just hit a deer, right? It's kind of a silly example, but you kind of get the point. So I want to say that line again, now that I've said this thing about the deer. So sacraments do point to and help us to see the presence of God, but they actually participate in the mysterious reality to which they point. So Jesus is present with us in Eucharist. It's not just an opportunity. When I grew up, we would do, we did Eucharist like once a, night, once a month, and it was usually on like a Sunday night or a Wednesday night at the church that I grew up in. And we would, the ushers would go around and pass out a little like styrofoam cube, almost flattened cube. So I, I guess that's not really a cube, is it? Um, and then a little bit of Welch's grape juice. And we would all kind of separately, there was no movement, right? We wouldn't gather around the table together. But at my church, we would just hold up one element at a time. And I remember as a kid thinking really hard, like, okay, I'm just going to think really hard about what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I would look around and some people would be crying and I would just be like, man, I'm just not, I don't feel it. You know, I want to feel it more. Um, but I think that as I've reflected more and learned more about the sacraments, the approach to the Eucharist at the church that I was a part of was all about our minds. It was all about thinking about what Jesus did or thinking about the story of Jesus. But the good news, church, is that it's more than just that. Of course, that's part of it, right? When we come together and we hear good news proclaimed and when we hear the liturgy of the Eucharist, we are remembering what Christ said to his disciples. We are remembering the story of God in creation, the fall and the incarnation, Christ's life and death and resurrection. We are hearing and remembering all those things. But the good news is that Christ is present with us in the Eucharist. So we don't have to just think really hard about Jesus. We don't just remember him. Jesus is present with us, and we are being remembered as the body of Christ. And another bit of this good news, I think, that's related to it is that this, this presence with us in the Eucharist is not an interruption or a disruption to the way that God normally works in creation. This is actually God's MO. This is the MO of the creator. This is the process of how the creator is reconciling creation to God's self by being present with us, not by being far off and waiting for us to earn God's attention or just being hands off and letting history take its course. But God is active and at work. It's an incarnational the sacramental theology and sacramental approach to worship is also incarnational. So Jesus in the incarnation became flesh, became man. But that also points to the reality of how God works, this MO of God, of being present at work in creation, not far off and distant. The telos of creation, which is just a, a fancy church way of saying like where we're headed. This is like the arc of God's story for creation that we're not at the end of yet. The telos of creation is complete unity between heaven and earth. And sacraments are the touch points of new creation. That is to say that sacraments are the places where presence is promised to us. They're places that teach us to recognize God's presence in all of life. The two sacraments of the gospel are baptism and Eucharist. But there are more sacraments. I'll talk more about this in just a bit. But those are the two sacraments of the gospel. In holy baptism, the outward visible sign 
is water and words, being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But the inward spiritual grace is death to sin, new birth into righteousness through union with Christ and his death and resurrection. Here at the table, we celebrate infant baptism, which may be a shift for some of you. It was for me and for my wife, Mallory. Um, but we believe here at the table that, that children belong before they believe. So we don't have to wait for them to proclaim that they want to be a Christian, but they are receiving a tradition, just like we're receiving a tradition of the saints that have gone before us. We're not making this up as we go. Being born into a family that is located in a church and in the Christian faith means that they are receiving that faith. Now, the prayer is that they would grow up and that faith would become their own. It wouldn't just be something that doesn't really fit for them or doesn't feel like it's theirs that they just have been saddled with. But that's part of the work of the church, right, is to, in our baptism vows, as a community and a congregation, we're pledging to care for and look out for and raise them. And not just raise them with dogma, but being invited into the real wrestling of life. And hopefully that's the work that the sacraments can help us to do. Actually, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some baptisms on the 5th of November. So just mention that again. Very exciting. I think we've got a couple of babies. But also, if there's any grown-ups that want to be baptized, just let us know, please. Um, and then in the second sacrament of the gospel, in Holy Eucharist, or some call it communion, the outward visible sign is bread and wine, the words of remembrance, and then the prayer of consecration. Those are the things that we observe each week. But the inward spiritual grace is the body and blood of Christ. The bread and the wine become the body and the blood of Christ. We receive strengthening and nourishment for our souls. We participate in love and fellowship with Christ and Christians that are around us. And the body of Christ is actually being knit together. So we actually believe, part of the Anglican tradition, is that we believe in the real presence of Christ. This is something that I said a little bit earlier. How? We don't know. That's actually one of the joys of being an Episcopalian. This is part of what I really love about the tradition that we're in, is that there's this level of intellectual humility as it relates to the sacrament of saying, I'm not precisely sure how Jesus is present with us, but I am convinced and I'm believing that Jesus is present with us which helps to cultivate a sense of wonder and awe. And it allows us to embrace mystery instead of resisting it. This is also an example of what Father Ben talked about last week when he was talking about the, the via media, the middle way. We don't believe necessarily, you don't have to believe in transubstantiation, which is like a direct, almost like attempt at a scientific explanation of like when the bread and the wine become the body and the blood of Jesus. If you do believe that, that's okay. That's great. But you don't have to believe that. You also don't have to believe, I think actually, let me see, what's the appropriate wording? So the alternative to a very precise understanding of when Jesus, when and how Jesus becomes present to us is to not believe in the real presence of Christ, but just to think of it as being a sign or a symbol. Like this is something that we do to memorialize Christ's sacrifice, which kind of disenchants the sacrament. The good news is that we can simply believe that there is actually a real presence of Christ with us as we gather around Eucharist, and there's a freedom not to know how that happens, which to me feels appropriate not to know how God is present, but to believe that God is present. So we often say baptism is like being born into a family, and then Eucharist is like family dinner. There are, as I mentioned earlier, there are other sacraments for example, uh, there's confirmation, absolution, ordination, marriage, ordination, marriage, and the anointing of the sick. Uh, however, these are not commanded by Christ as necessary for salvation. That being said, we believe that God clearly uses these as a means of grace in our lives. Sacraments participate in the reality that they are a sign or a symbol of, but we look through them and we participate in them unto the life, unto the life in unity with God. So we participate in them unto that life, not in lieu of that life. You see this, the subtle difference there? Instead of saying, we can't possibly live in union with the divine now, so the best thing we can do is just come to the table, 
and receive Eucharist and think about how good it's going to be when we are able to live in that union with God. Instead of that view, we're free to say, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but in coming to the table, in gathering in community, proclaiming peace to one another, hearing the word of God and receiving bread and wine each week, we are participating in the life of God. And then we're sent out to go and take that life of God with us, right? That's where some of the hard work really begins is discerning how to do that work outside of these four walls of the church. But this rhythm of coming together and receiving the body and blood of Christ and being remembered as Christ's body is what helps to energize and generate an imagination for being the people of God. So sacraments are not the thing, but they are a thing that helps us to participate in the thing, which is union with the divine in all of life. All of life is sacramental. And these sacraments help us to see the sacramentality of all of life. That's all that I have in my notes. We're only 36 minutes in. So on one hand, I feel really good, but also I wanted to make sure that we have adequate time for questions, um, of which there may be many. So any reflect, I mean, feel free, if, even if you don't have a direct question, but you just have a reflection on ways you've heard these talk about in the past, or maybe a difference that you're noticing in how I just talked about the sacraments compared to what you're used to. I would love to hear from you guys about your experience of, of the sacraments in the life of the church or in the shape of worship. Yeah. 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 So, um, I don't know if the recording can hear, but the question was, is it important? Is the placement of the musicians intentional? Uh, which it is, yes. Uh, of course, we're somewhat limited by space to begin with, um, but it feels very natural and of a part of our posture and orientation towards the work that God is doing in our worship to not have the musicians up on a stage. And I mean, I can speak only for myself, although I think Matt and Ben would agree. If we, if we were like building a building, or coming up with our most ideal shape of worship, I think we would like to be in the round to where there's not even a front like that we're all oriented to. It would be great to be gathered around the table and the musicians over the side, because even as we proclaim good news on Sundays, we don't stand up on the altar, but we're still at the front. And so there is this sense of like our bodies are oriented to like receive from someone instead of it being a voice from amongst the people. So yeah, that is, it is intentional, although... You know, we have had times before where we didn't really have a great little side alcove. Yeah. Uh, I just got a more of a comment than a question. Um, what you just mentioned about just we don't understand, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Uh, kind of, I grew up in a very um, intellectual Christian Presbyterian mm -hmm. urban, yeah, where it's like we had to have an answer mm -hmm. for everything. Mm -hmm. There was this massive, long, drawn-out theological explanation for every single thing about children. Yeah. And, like, I kind of drew away from that after this kind of getting the understanding of just, like, I'd rather have questions. It's like a common thing. I'm like, I'd rather have a question that can't be answered mm -hmm. than answers that can't be questioned. Yeah. Those questions were not yeah. acceptable. Yeah, yeah. In my upbringing. Say, yeah. you cannot, Say that again. The... I'd rather have questions that cannot be answered answers that cannot be questioned. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, I think that's really important to, I mean, to me, that's, that's part of what drew me into this tradition is this approach of being like, we want to be diligent in our study, but also acknowledging like, of course, we're not going to fully understand this until we, heaven and earth have become one and we are fully present and aware of God's presence with us. Um, so it feels faithful. I mean, I, to me, at least, it, it, the when I was a part of a tradition where I had to be more certain of things, it felt like I was personally like always gaslighting myself into more confidence about things or more certainty about things than I actually was experiencing. Yeah. Um, you like jazz. You get to stay in an era of, I understand the totality of God about as much as the blueberry pancake. I breakfast understands me. Yeah, that's good. Blue like jazz, man. You're taking me back. That's a great one. Love that book. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. When you were talking about the sacraments, you brought up the others, like 
coordination in there or some such. Um, you made a comment about how, maybe I misunderstood, that Chris not indicated that those were necessary for salvation, mm -hmm. which then would mean that you're saying that the Eucharist and baptism is mm. Dr. Ben. Um, well, I want to be careful how I say it, but uh, they are believed to be like central to our ongoing salvation. And I guess it's a lot of it depends on how you view salvation, right? right? So yeah. yeah, the tradition that I, the tradition that I come out of, right? And a lot of us maybe are familiar with this is like your salvation happens when you pray a specific prayer. And I think that obviously confessing the Lordship of Christ is part of the journey that we are all on. But I think that coming to the table and receiving the real presence of Christ each week is part of my ongoing salvation. And so, I mean, if your question were, if somebody lived in a remote area, had never heard about Jesus or received sacraments or baptism, could they be saved? Then I personally would believe that, yes, the, the presence of God is, God is always present and at work, even if a man has not come and said these specific words to that person. Um so I hope that's, I hope the way I'm answering is clarifying without being too, I don't know, I feel like I answered it very shortly and it could have probably been like a, a 10 minute answer. Anybody else have anything to say about Ben? Yeah, I would say that um, one way that I think about this that I think it's, it's helpful for me anyway is to say that they are necessary for salvation is not necessarily to say that there are boundaries around these practices. Mm -hmm. and, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like my, my goodness, make sure your baby is baptized, you know, like right away, just in case, right? So I cannot imagine God being as capricious as that. Mm -hmm. The God revealed in Jesus Christ is going to save as many people, you know, as, as God can. And so God's not capricious like that. But, but baptism and the Eucharist are the central and normal ways, the normative ways. That we are that we are, come into the life of God. Um, not that God can't work outside of them, but they are the normal ways of God working in the universe. And so that's usually the way that I think about it and talk about it. Yeah, I think something that Ben said in his response reminded me of last week. I can't remember exactly which part of the creed or something like that we were asking the question of if it was restrictive or if. We, we kind of illuminated that there's two ways of reading this thing that we talked about last week, which is either like, we are the one church. Yeah, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? Which you could read that or say that in a way that's like, we got it right. Nobody else has it right. And I just couldn't, I could not stand up and say that every week. And I wouldn't say it and I wouldn't feel great doing it. And so even as I'm saying that those things are essential for salvation, it's to say, our, this is our limited understanding of the way that God has promised to be present to us and God's desires to be present to and in union with all people. But certainly God is, to your point about blueberry pancakes, God is present and at work in lives of people in ways that I don't even comprehend or can't begin to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I went to a UCC church in Memphis and they kind of had a perspective of salvation and not what's going to happen after we're dead. And that kind of helped me formulate the time. Mm. It's like, if we're so obsessed with what happens after we're dead, we can cause hell while we're still alive. Yep. Whereas, like, the, the idea of salvation, like you just said, what do we mean by salvation? Yeah. It's like, how is my life transformed right now? Yeah. And I'll let God worry about what's going to happen after. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. And that's something that I am hoping to talk about a little bit in my sermon today too, of like, sometimes we can read scripture or research tradition or things like the sacrament in a way that's like, man, we have to really decode exact precisely what God has for us in this, or else we're in the long run, we're not going to be with God, but God is pursuing us and pursuing union with us here. And now that's part of our salvation. And yeah, we, I think we are mistaken when we view it as okay, we got to get this code right so that the afterlife is like we end up in the right destination. We're missing a mass. I mean, we're missing all of our life here on earth. It's massive, but that is, unfortunately, it's a very common approach to understanding some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Are those like traditions outlined in the book of common prayer or what do you think about them? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So you're thinking of like bowing and when we cross ourselves and things? Yes. So they do have meaning. And uh, like, so, you know, we um, fully, when we're celebrating Eucharist, fully gen genuflect and like go down to a knee right after holding up the elements. And so there are different things that we've learned and uh, how to celebrate that are rooted in tradition. I don't believe that they're actually in the Book of Common Prayer, though. So I don't know. There's, I mean, there's like a priest's handbook that has all these. I think it's actually called a priest's handbook, right? Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. There's a, there's a number of different um, places that a lot of that comes from. And so the Book of Common Prayer is written to be a fairly widely you can apply it in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. You'll find a lot of different churches in the Anglican tradition that apply it in various ways. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like well, so there's something called like more Anglo-Catholic, which basically receives a lot more of those little kind of traditions about genuflecting and stuff from the Catholic Church. And then there's other ways of celebrating the Eucharist that uh, dismiss with some of those a bit more. Um, so anyway, it's one of the things I appreciate about our tradition is that there's a wide variety of ways of kind of lines and so the tables particular practice um comes from a yeah, variety of mm -hmm. I think too uh when the bishop comes and presides, there'll be a little difference too. Like part of how we come to the table and when when the priest is like do a little motion. Some of them are kind of like our own. Uh, like what's meaningful and good and holy and just diverse like group of things. Uh, I was recently with the bishop with these guys and we, I went to Jesus like and nobody else did. We started talking so I lost my spot. But like it's just kind of part of this like when you go you talk about English food and like dinner there's different spins and things that people participate together, right? Like Spencer's family plays games after dinner. My family's like, get the dishes, let's go, we gotta get to know it. And so I think it's part of like our own expression uh, in our diverse, wide uh, doing. Are you just trying to lay the groundwork for why you don't like to help with the dishes? <laughs> Got her. Um, yeah. The, the question I had, had, where can I find like a resource on like the labels, like physical mm -hmm. like things that we would do and maybe some of the more reasons underneath that? Sure. Yeah, good question. So I don't, I can't think of a resource top of mind. I think we're going to talk through it a bit next week as we go through the liturgy. Um, and that's something that we, we wanted to do like carve out more space for, right? And we we try to keep services going without doing too much explaining between, but we also want there to be a little opportunities for teaching about why we would make the sign of the cross here and why you're invited to do it, but it's not something you must do. Um, so we are looking for ways of of teaching on that more for sure. That's, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, for those that didn't come for any kind of liturgical tradition, yeah. um, I don't understand exactly what way the cross ourselves. Mm -hmm. I notice that there are different ways that they're different actions sometimes. Um, so I don't know if this is the right way to talk about that, but yeah. I'm uncomfortable doing it, not knowing exactly what. Oh, doing. sure. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, the sign of the cross, and feel free if you anybody has anything else to say about this, but the sign of the cross is we're, we're marking our bodies with the sign of our Savior, right? And so I definitely have seen people do this differently. And not, growing up, the only way I saw people do this was baseball players before they got in the batter's box doing it. Uh, but yes, I for me, so I, I have always been familiar with the general shape of it, right? Without kind of understanding what work it was doing. And then as I've entered into this tradition, to me, it's been a way of using my body to remind me of submitting to the presence and the reign of Jesus in my life. And so I mark from here to forehead, belly button, shoulder, shoulder, and then my hand rests over my heart. And you see people do this slightly different. Um, so that's the meaning for, for me of like, that's how it's helping me to engage in worship. And then another sign of the cross during worship that you'll see is as the gospel is preparing to be read, people will mark their minds, their mouths, and their hearts. 
And so it's, we're kind of declaring with our bodies, Christ's lordship of our, of our whole person of who we are. Um, there's, I'm sure there's more to be said. So I don't know if you guys have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of, yeah, go ahead. Um, I have been to, I grew up in position. I was great friends, but so I didn't have to go little. But something that I find helpful is thinking about as a time marker, too. So when you're in, especially in personal prayer, if you do it at the beginning of the prayer, at the end of the prayer, it's marking that time, that whole, you know, separate from concentration. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so a couple of other times that come to mind from our worship is we do we do a sign of the cross at the beginning as we address Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that kind of, for me, seems like a demarcation of time. And then when we do the prayers of the people and we pray for those who have passed on, it's a way, I, I think, of of reminding ourselves of Jesus' Lordship after death. And, and depending on how I'm feeling that day, sometimes it's like reminding myself, okay, I actually, I believe I will see my grandfather again because death does not have the last word. So I'm, I'm declaring Jesus's lordship over death, even if I'm not feeling it. Um, and then another is during the, the Eucharistic prayers, when we talk about our bodies being a sacrifice that we're offering, we pray, we pray over the bread and the wine as sacrifices that we're offering, but then we pray over our bodies. And so we're consecrating our bodies that we're bringing, you know, we bring the bread and the wine and then we bring our bodies to the table to meet the real presence of Christ, which was sacrificed for us. So, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I know that gesture, it's, it's ritualistic. I guess mm -hmm. it's not, I think the process kind of subtle with that word. Yeah. You know, and, and as opposed to, because it's like it a lot. And this is when you start it. there was like to me it feels like there was this um i mean growing up in the type of church that i grew up in there was a real reaction to ritualism and that was like almost anti-presence and uh obviously that's like our people's interpretation and experience with ritual and so then there's reactions against it and so the biggest thing that i would say about the table as we try to embody these things is exactly what you said we're, everybody is invited to participate in these ways and we don't ever want to be a place that's like hey dude like you need to you have to cross yourself here or why are you not bowing in this way like you should be doing a full genuflection here instead of just a little head nod um but we're all just trying to find our ways into embodying this good you know saying yes to this good news that we're receiving even as a parent i mean i'm hoping that my kids are 
the way that we're using our bodies in worship is meaningful for them. But what I said earlier is they've, they've been baptized, but my prayer for them is that this will feel like something that fits them and is their own as they grow up. Um, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. They're 85. Should be praying. Um, any other final thoughts or questions before we close and wrap up? I just to reaffirm what you said. I think one of the beautiful things about the table is it's made up of um a term that one of my professors used once, which I think is kind of these spiritual refugees, these people who kind of been wrecked by the church, but you want to leave it. There's something holding you good here, but I don't know where else to go. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the beautiful things about the table is that we are rooted in tradition, but we all bring these different flares and these different expressions that we've held on to. And so being able to incorporate this long life of faith and how you've embodied it into what we do on Sundays is so important. I think for me, I I grew up all over the place, but uh, mostly in the evangelical church. It was uh, a joy for me to be in services where you could move your body, you could raise your hands, and so you'll see in service I do that. I'm constantly wiggling, I pull back and forth, my hands are raising, each hand I can, because that's part of where I came from. I didn't just leave everything. I had to rework some things, right? It was important for me to be able to hold on to the sacred things that formed me and shaped me. And I think that's part of the invitation here of it doesn't have to all be rejigified at the same time. We all do the sign of the cross. We all do these things. Everything is open. Uh, and we can do this together. This is part of what we talked about last week, the community, the Holy Catholic, Apostolic Church. All of this is being formed into is culminating into this movement together and for the moment. Mm. Yeah. Can I just say to Joy that this expressed the taste of you is something I've never experienced before. Mm. And um, to be able to be reminded of what form of sacrifice that Christ made. And to be able to enter into the absolute transformational joy yeah. of being kids at the table mm -hmm. with children and everybody there. Well, the social mm -hmm. just um, the default hot chili. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. One thought I want to do, I didn't really even know which of those to do. <laughs> and hearing about that, it just kind of sounds to me like it's uh, instead of that touch points, God, you, you do this, and it's like, oh wow, I'm in God's presence. Mm -hmm. This is the, when you said it's a weaker status to come with, and I'm going to be greatest and biggest. What uh, if, if, if someone were to say, what specifically can I do to try to be in God's presence at that time? Mm -hmm. Go ahead and do this one. Play in your mind and talk. Look at Christ and begin to see God's presence right now. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like at some level it's it probably is just very different person to person. I like, I love celebrating Eucharist, but one of my favorite experiences at the table is when I'm not up there and I'm just going to receive with my family. And then I, because of where we sit, I sit down as chaos ensues with the line going up. And I just like, that's, I, I really sense God's presence in that chaos of just like kids jumping around and people that are new going up and receiving Eucharist. Um, and I just, I just am sitting, I mean, honestly, that's like the time where no matter what I've been doing, wrestling my kids, uh, something transformative happens for me. And that time where I'm like, oh man, this wrestling is really beautiful. I'm glad, you know, Remy was giving me wet willies during the sermon or whatever it was. Um, 
so I think I, I just, there's a, I think for me, I guess the way I'd verbalize is I'm, I'm practicing saying yes to Jesus being present there. Even if, even if I don't feel it coming into it, I'm like, wow, you're here. You're here in this chaos, which helps me when I leave those doors. And then I go out into different types of chaos. I don't know if anybody else has anything they want to add to that though. That's a really good question. I just say, I think uh, this is personal to me, and maybe talk to you, but uh, I think for me, I'll talk to you guys not to crane your necks so much. Um, I think for me, um, it's been really meaningful to, to just see as a prayer with my body. But there's nothing that necessarily needs to be sort of cognitively happening, mm. necessarily, but I can just pray with my body, as well, you know, just like I can pray with my words, or I can pray with my mind, you know, I can pray in silence. But it's just a way for me to offer that. And so I think maybe subconsciously what's happening for me is that I can sign the cross. It's just something like, like I'm yours. I'm yours. That's the one I belong to you. That's, that's maybe enough. I think, you know, just the, the overall thing to say about all the gestures that might feel new to everybody um, is kind of an Anglican ethical um, statement that uh, gets said a lot, which is all men. None must. Some should. <laughs> um, and you can discern whether you're the part of the some should. Uh, but, but definitely feel the permission. Uh, go ahead and try it. Everybody can try it. Right? Nobody needs to. That's fine. You know? um, and then, you know, for some people, it, it's helpful. I, I consider myself part of the some should. Um, it really helps me ground my life in God. Because that's, most of us, you know, grew up in very cerebral kinds of uh, Faith mm. traditions, you know, and so just for me, it's helpful for me to get out of my head and get into my body. So, mm. at, at, the, at the list of over like quarters, you think about this, but one of the things that um, I've been sort of uh, just noticing is that we do things with our body all the time that are unconscious or subconscious that communicate or that help us like put us in a spot. So like I'm answering your question, I'm doing normal handouts, but I did this answer your question. It's weird, right? <laughs> this is this this doesn't comport with what I'm saying. This this body posture has a uh, almost like Western universal like relaxing or you know Chilling. It's like if you were, if you lay down, the probably thinks in your question like that. <laughs> you hear, right? So we do things like this that embody sort of an uh, ASOS or an aesthetic, right? Some sort of uh, consenting. And I think that uh, it is helpful to just begin to associate the sign of the cross with what we already associate with things like that. We already trying to do it. We don't do this. And so what we're doing, we're reclaiming the body as a place of worship and knowledge. Mm. Rather than just being stuck in our heads. Mm -hmm. And there's one way to get out of our heads into our bodies because we are hungry. As and you know, because when I do this, it's just service here, I was nervous about liturgy because that was all putting to me. Yeah. The farther I got along in my faith, the less I was this is not like you're not at all like when liturgy liturgy happened and everybody's speaking in a normal voice to match the words that has been for me since <laughs> well that's you know the great the beauty of that is and we believe this wholeheartedly is like that's you like we can't make everybody say it and embody it in that way there's an invitation there but the people shouting it or embodying the liturgy is what's doing the work which is part of what's so beautiful about stepping into this tradition is that there's somebody that celebrates eucharist there's somebody that gets up and preaches a sermon but we are 
embodying worship together. We're not just coming and watching a performance. So let me let me pray for us and then we'll uh, kind of break before worship starts. Heavenly Father, pray that you would just continue to help us to meet you in the reality of where we're at right now. Remind us of your presence. Help us to sense your invitations and to the ways that we can participate and and pay attention and tend to your presence with our minds, with our bodies, with our hearts. Just make your presence known and manifest amongst us today as we catch up with one another, as we bless one another, and as we receive your body and blood. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Two points of order before we go. Sorry, I want to just, uh, if you can help stack the chairs over here in the corner, that would be